the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado. Today, uh, as I have been all week, filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron, who is with his bride, Paula, celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. In fact, it's today. And so, Pastor Ron and Paula, I'm sure you're, you're not listening, but in case you are, happy 50th wedding anniversary today. We love you and thank you for saying yes to Jesus in the meantime, our show will continue as it usually does. This is a Bible question and answer show. That means we're here to take your questions about the Bible. What does it mean? What we believe? Why we believe it? Uh, questions about how to put the Word of God into practice in your life. And, and doctrinal questions, church life questions. Whatever we can do to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus, that's why we're here. So. The phone numbers, let me give you those. The first one is the local area number 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. We've got the email address. It's questions at calvarysa.com questions plural at calvarysa.com submit your questions there or you can use our church app there's a form online you can submit your question that way you can also contact us if you want to dial in especially if you're in your car use the KSLR app there's an easy way to call in you just click the banner up at top then you'll be connected right to the radio producer Okay, it's Friday. That means here at Calvary Chapel, quick programming note, uh, we have our New Testament Bible study night. Since Pastor Ron is out of town, we have Louis Henner teaching for us tonight. Uh, he was the, um, he has been for many years our foundations uh, teacher, both he and Annette lead the foundations class on Sunday afternoons. But uh, recently, just a few weeks ago, he also was the, the keynote speaker at our youth camp, and so many stories of, of people listening to Louis teach the Word of God, the way he articulates and illustrates and makes the Word of God come alive. It's a huge blessing to so many people, and tonight we all get to benefit. He'll be teaching out of Second Timothy, if you're in the area or if you're a normal, uh, if you normally join us on Friday nights, everything continues as usual, seven o'clock here in the sanctuary. And then, on a quick note: uh, tomorrow morning too, we have prayer in case anyone is interested. Nine thirty here in the sanctuary. Okay, so it is Friday. We, other than that, we don't have anything else going on. Let's jump right into the questions while I have given you those numbers. You have time to call in. We do have a couple here. This first one 
is from Jonathan. Jonathan says, I believe in Jesus, but I can't stop partying and doing drugs. Will I still go to heaven when I die? Well, Jonathan, this this seems like a, a loaded question because it seems like, and I don't want to make assumptions here, but y- you have already convinced yourself that you're going to continue sinning. And so let me tell you very clearly, if you are truly born again, you will change and you will go to heaven when you die. Now, obviously, you can't change yourself, but it's the power of God changing you internally, and it's him working through your life, changing your life. Now, the real question here, Jonathan, is if you're truly born again. Because remember, and May and I were talking about this yesterday, Galatians chapter 6, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, both written by the Apostle Paul, but the Holy Spirit speaking through him, make it very clear to us that people, those who live like this, and he describes a list of sins, that that, uh, a lifestyle of sin, people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What that means, Jonathan, is this. You can't say that you're born again but look exactly the same as you did before. There has to be a difference in your life. That's what Jesus does. When you meet Jesus, he will change you. He will, he will uh, forgive you of your sin, give you a brand new heart, and what will happen, what will happen is, Uh, The old you will be gone, and the new you, the born-again you, will go on living. And that's important because it doesn't mean you just say something. You pray a prayer or you raise your hand and then make a profession of faith and then continue doing what you've been doing. That means, or people who live like this, prove that they haven't met Jesus. Uh, more on this in a second. I, I, I have a, a lot of things to say about this because I want this to be absolutely clear. I don't want our callers to waiting. So let's jump right into our phone lines. Line one, Cindy from San Antonio, you're on the air. Well, hi, Pastor Ken. Thank you for taking my call. I was hoping that you'll still uh, keep answering the question that called in. I thought it was a wonderful question. Um, what I have here is in uh, Psalm 133, verse 3, it says, uh, The dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. I wondered what that, what that was referring to. So I'm going to get off the phone. And a shout-out to the happy lovebirds in California. Happy <laughs> anniversary. I hope the Lord makes a breathtakingly beautiful sunset on the uh, on the beach tonight. And now I'm going to get off and put my radio back on. Bye. Oh, okay. Thank you, Cindy. Yes, I I shared yesterday that the pastor on or actually it was Paula sent a picture, a picturesque, beautiful picture of them sitting um at their usual location enjoying the sun and breathing in the nice Pacific Ocean air. So they're having a wonderful time and yes, um I'll make sure that they know that the radio audience has been praying for them. So, on to your question. You know, Psalm 133, this is a very interesting psalm because it is three or four verses long. But it's only three verses long. This is what it says. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And so David here is comparing the dew to the blessing, or he's associating them to be the same thing. And he's suggesting here that in the same way that the dew would sit upon the grass when God would bless uh, the Israelites in, in the wilderness, remember the dew would be on the grass and the manna would sit on top, and it would act as a, a coating or a bedding that the, the gift that God sent would sit upon. Um, or this is also uh, sort of symbolic of 
the blessing of the Holy Spirit. I think about uh, when Jesus was anointed with oil or when anyone was anointed with oil. Remember, they would start from the head and, and pour the oil down. And as it would drip down the face and down the body, it was symbolic of the Spirit of God coming upon a person. Well, that's similar to what's being described here. It says here that it's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. This is the Lord's blessing, the Lord bestowing his blessing upon his people. And you know Mount Zion would be symbolic of uh, spiritual Israel later on or the blessing of Israel later on in uh, in a sense that it would be the recipient of God's favor. And this is one thing that, that we have to remember. You know, when it comes to Israel, uh, God made promises to Israel back in the Old Testament that have yet to be fulfilled. We read in Jeremiah chapter 40, in later chapters of Ezekiel, plenty of places that describe a future for Israel that has yet to be fulfilled that includes promises and blessings that they haven't seen yet. And and this picture from this very short psalm is a beautiful way of God describing the sweet dew, his sweet blessings coming upon his people. I, I love that because, you know, we think of dew, at least I do, when I was a kid, I think of dew as uh, on the grass as something that isn't really sweet or it's not something that's really clean. At least where I grew up, it wasn't like that. But when God describes it, particularly, again, in that that word picture of the manna sitting upon the dew in the desert, it's a picture of God's comfort, his sweet comfort and his blessing. So, Cindy, thank you for your question. I, I love how detailed you are when you are digging into the word, Cindy. God has been and will continue to bless that. Let me return quickly to Jonathan's question while you oh, you have the phone numbers and you want to call in. So about this, Jonathan, if you say you can't stop partying and you can't stop doing drugs and your follow-up question is, well, will, will I still go to heaven? There's a disconnect here. And I talked about this already. You've got to ask. The real question is, am I really born again? Now, Let me turn your attention to Ephesians chapter 2. If you truly are born again, and make no mistake about it, there are born-again Christians. We still have the flesh, and there are Christians, real Christians, who still struggle with sin. But again, 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians chapter 5, there's a key distinction between momentary lapses of the flesh versus a lifestyle of sin. If you find yourself sinning in sin and your heart hates it, you're repentant afterwards. What you need to remember is that 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, you have been completely forgiven because God is faithful. But Ephesians chapter 2 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you, here's the key, used to live, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Verse 4, skip down a couple of verses, he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Here's the reason why I bring this passage up, Jonathan. When you realize you have been forgiven of your sin, the natural byproduct of that forgiveness is an overwhelming sense of gratitude. An overwhelming sense of gratitude. You can't help but be grateful. And so here's the key. That gratitude transforms or manifests itself into obedience. You still have flesh, I still have flesh, and that flesh wants to sin. But because Jesus has forgiven us of our sin, he has broken the chains and sin is no longer our master, Romans says. That means we don't have to say yes to sin. We don't, you can stop partying. 
not in your own strength, but the power of God's Spirit will help you to stop. But you got to want it more than anything. I'll tell you a real quick story. I, I remember as a new Christian, the Lord had delivered me from so many things virtually overnight. Like my life drastically changed. And I knew it. But there was one thing that I couldn't stop doing that the Lord made absolutely clear to me. It was sin for me. And that was smoking cigarettes. Now, the Bible doesn't say that smoking cigarettes is a sin. But I knew for me it was. And it wasn't until about eight months into my relationship with the Lord. Again, having changed drastically from, from the very beginning, this is one thing that I continue to do. At my workplace at the time, I was with the same group that in, would go to the back of the building and take a 10-minute break, smoke a cigarette. Same people were having conversations. And one of my coworkers says to me, hey, aren't you one of the guys in that group that does a Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday lunchtime Bible study? And I said, yes, I am. Then he asked me, as an unbeliever, he said to me, well, well then why are you back here? And it wasn't lunchtime, but what he was saying was, I shouldn't be here. And again, smoking wasn't a sin, and I don't think this guy even knew what he was saying, but obviously he could tell something was wrong. I knew something was wrong. The Lord had been speaking to me, and at that moment, the Lord spoke so clearly to me. And he said this, you don't really hate your sin as much as you think you do. I tried everything. I tried patches. I tried all kinds of things. And again, those things are helpful for some. I knew, for me, I was born again. I was a brand new creation. God changed me. This is one thing that I just allowed to linger. But that moment, I knew very clearly. I just didn't want it bad enough. I didn't hate my sin enough. And so I didn't, after that, I was done. Jonathan, Whatever it is that's stopping you from following Jesus, you got to hate it because it's sin. The partying, the drugs, and whatever it is, it's the heart. You can stop these things and and transfer that, that same sinful energy into something else, and it'll still be a problem. You got to hate your sin. Die to your flesh. Die to your flesh daily. Thank you, Jonathan, for your question. Let's go on to the next one. This one is a uh, a continuation from the men's retreat, actually. It was a submission that wasn't addressed, so it's an anonymous one. From the men's retreat, question says, Three years ago, the world changed because of a virus. Vaccines were created to protect us from the virus to no avail. Everyone had an opinion on everything the government and the media were doing and saying. As time went by, the truth of the origins and purpose of the virus has come out. The truth on the effectiveness of the vaccine and its real purpose have come out. What do you say to a Christian who has pulled you into a conversation, who continues to proselytize for Fauci and the government? Okay. Well, Anonymous, uh, the posturing in your question makes it clear that you have, you, like everybody else, have an opinion on this. You're right. Three years ago, the world was completely different than it was, than it is now. And, and, And the pandemic that we all went through together was, was one that, that, had such an overload of information that it appealed to our flesh. People began to take sides, and as opinions grew stronger, uh, people started to make 
their decision-making emotionally charged. Yeah, and you're right. As time went by, more information came out. But here's, since you ask, what do you say to a Christian who has put you into a conversation? Let me answer this question. Anyone who preaches or shares a message or proselytizes for Fauci or the government, really for anything, is not a conversation that's worth your time. What do I say to a Christian that continues to talk about these things? I will point them to 2 Timothy. In chapter 2, where Paul writes Timothy, writes to Timothy a warning and an example to follow. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. If your commanding officer is Fauci or somebody else, and guess what? What you're going to do is make decisions that try to please them. If your commanding officer is yourself in your own opinions, well, guess what? You're going to make decisions that please you. But this verse, this section of chapter 2, Paul says to Timothy, we have one commanding officer. His name is Jesus. And, and you can't have one foot in you know, pleasing Jesus and the other foot in pleasing the world. You can't do that. That's why whatever it is you serve as a soldier, because you are a soldier, you're a soldier for Jesus or you're a soldier for something else, you cannot get entangled with anything else. It's a distraction that, that renders you useless in what you're called to do. So as a Christian, what I would tell this person is, Turn off your TV and stay off your phone. Spend more time in your Bible than you do on the Internet. And I guarantee you it will change the way you think. It'll change the way you think. None of us are built in such a way to be able to process this much information and we have a sinful nature that is hungry and thirsty for more and more information. You know why? Because knowledge puffs up. The more knowledge we can intake, the more puffed up we are, even if we don't know what to do with all of this knowledge. During this pandemic, there, there were people constantly feeding their minds with all kinds of things that they took their eyes off of Jesus. And what was once a flourishing, thriving, fruitful walk with Jesus became distracted with little things, big things. And all of a sudden, Jesus was on the back burner and everything was all about the latest news for that day. Breaking news, new revelation, new revelations or new discoveries or new executive orders, whatever it may be. Some of us, some, of, some people became experts in interpreting executive orders than they were in, inter they were in interpreting their Bibles. We became people who were so engrossed with this constant stream of information that we took our eyes off of Jesus. And anyone that does that. Anyone that does that, their, their fruit will grow rotten. Their, their love will grow cold. And, and here's the worst part about it, Anonymous. The person that you're speaking to, the one for whom Jesus died, will now be the object of your wrath because they disagree with you instead of the object of God's affection. Instead of giving them grace, instead of being patient with them, you'll look for an opportunity to attack them, to debate with them, and render yourself useless. So Anonymous, we all went through it together, but it's time to put the childish things aside. 
when you have someone that claims to be a Christian and is talking more about something else than they are about Jesus, redirect the attention, redirect the conversation back to the Word of God. And if it continues, you need to correct them. You need to tell them in love, look, you talk way too much about other things. How about let's talk about Jesus? That'll give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to deal with their heart. It's the most loving thing you can do. Instead of avoiding somebody who is irritating and just let them continue on with that conversation with somebody else, you need to correct them and say, my friend, you've been talking way too much about other things. Let's talk about Jesus. And if that person really is a Christian, God will use that to convict them. And they'll come back to you and thank you. They really will. So Anonymous from the Men's Retreat, I hope that helps. Well, you can hear the music. That means the first half of the Friday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life is now complete. We have a two-minute break, and we'll be right back. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the word to stand on for life my name is pastor ken and this week i've been filling in for my pastor pastor ron arbaugh who is uh, enjoying time away. Both he and Paula are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary today. Today is the actual day of their anniversary. And so thank you for praying for them. They have been praying for you. They will be back in town tomorrow. Pastor Ron will be teaching on Sunday, back on the radio Monday. In the meantime, our show will continue here let me take your questions. Uh, let me give you the phone numbers so you can call in. Questions about the Bible, questions about how to put how to put the Word of God into practice in your life, doctrinal questions, anything that's on your heart, because we want to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877 630 5757 877-630-5757. We have an email address that's questions at calvarysa.com. This is questions, plural, at calvarysa.com. We have a church app. You can submit questions that way. There's a tab there, and you can just type in your question, and it'll come right to our email. You can call in. If you're in your car, it's even easier to use the KSLR app. Press the banner up on top. It'll connect you right to the studio, and you can ask your question on the air. Okay, we have a couple of questions that were submitted um, very recently, so let's go right to those from our mobile app. We have an anonymous question. That's a a two-part question. What is the difference between Catholicism and and Christianity, what should someone do when they're faced with a relationship as a Christian with a Catholic? Okay. Well, Anonymous, these are important questions, so let's get right to it. I grew up Catholic. I grew up in a Catholic home. And so I come from a perspective of a traditional Catholic, and I could tell you this, Catholicism by and large, doesn't teach that we need to be born again. It teaches religion. Christianity doesn't teach religion, even if some make it into one, but it teaches relationship with Jesus. That relationship comes through being born again. This is a love relationship with Jesus Christ. So, 
The Bible, from beginning to end, has a consistent thread of the redemption of man through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, again, this is not a blanket statement about all Catholicism or all Catholics, because I do believe there are some Catholics that can be born again. The Bible doesn't say anything about religion. The Bible describes a relationship. John chapter 3, you know the passage. At least you should know it. And I share this with all of my Catholic family and friends. Nicodemus approached Jesus at night. He wanted to know more about this, him being the most religious, most revered intellect, and the, the most revered teacher of Israel at the time, knew there was still something missing, came to Jesus at night because he wanted to ask him, what does he have to do? Jesus said, you must be born again. That that relationship, that born again, is not a church. You don't join a church. You don't join a, a religion. You don't join a following. You join the family of God. This is an invitation extended to anyone and everyone. doesn't matter what culture you come from. doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't even matter if you belong to a different religion God will deal with that. But what he wants everyone to know is that we are all guilty of sin. And sin is what keeps us out of heaven. Because the entrance fee into heaven is perfection. That perfection is only possible through faith in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 explains that. And so that's the key difference, Anonymous, between Catholicism and Christianity uh, again, we live in an area where there is a large Catholic population. Again, I grew up in a Catholic home. I am Filipino, and part of our culture is uh, just like it is for most of the Hispanic culture. Catholicism is directly intertwined with the culture, and it's hard to separate the two. But what the Word of God tells us is this. That he is willing and eager to forgive anyone of their sin if they come to him on his terms, Jesus' terms. That's to admit that they're a sinner, to believe that Jesus Christ died for their sin, and that he rose again. And by putting their faith in him, they will have the forgiveness of sin and the guarantee of heaven. This is what the Bible describes, what Jesus described as the born-again relationship. Second question, what should someone do when they're faced with a relationship as a Christian with a Catholic? This one's tough. Uh, So it depends. Um, If you're married, then what you should do as the believer is constantly... Share Jesus with your spouse. Now, I'm not talking about forcing them because you live together. Obviously, you know each other more than anyone else. But because you live together, because you have, think of it this way, you have a captive audience. You have someone whom you love dearly, so close to you that they can see Jesus in you. And what they need to see, as a person who is religious, they need to see that there's still something that their religion doesn't fill in their hearts. That emptiness Jesus wants to fill through a relationship. And and, and when you're in a relationship, if you're married, this is something that uh, you need to think about every single day, every moment of every single day. Because you have flesh, as a Christian, the enemy will try to tempt you to get into your flesh to ruin your witness to your spouse. So what you do is you're so, you stay so close to Jesus. You're just with Jesus. 
You're constantly in his word. Constantly praying for your spouse. This is important. When you're praying for them to get saved, you're going to remember that they are the object of God's affection instead of the object of your wrath, instead of falling into the trap of arguing and and, and debating and bickering with one another when you see that the spouse who is very religious is still missing Jesus, you're going to use every opportunity you can to share the love of Jesus with them. And I promise you, I promise you, I share this in counseling all the time. When a born-again spouse is obedient to the Holy Spirit with consistency, what happens over time is you give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to whisper into the heart of your spouse and say, hey, do you see what I'm doing in him? Do you see what I'm doing in her? What I'm doing in them is changing them because they've given their heart to me. I want to do the same thing for you. Now, when Jesus does that, it's so much more effective than we're saying the same thing over and over, you know, message after message. Sometimes a voice that's different than a familiar one is a little more effective. And Jesus is very effective at using your obedience to win your spouse to himself. Anonymous, thank you for your question. I hope that helps. Second email, um, second question that was sent in is from our email inbox from Sean. Is there a gap of time between Genesis 1 and Genesis 1, um, chapter 1, verse 2? I've heard of this being referred to as the gap theory. Could this be the time when Lucifer and the third of angels that followed him were cast from heaven? If not, when did that occur? Sean, thank you for your question. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell us when Lucifer and a third of the angels fell. Now, the gap theory is uh, a teaching that really is an unfortunate teaching that so many Christians have believed in or have kind of uh, aligned with in their way of reconciling uh, geological eras, supposedly scientific, scientific information that they think, Christians believe, are in contradiction with the Word of God. But that's just not true. So here's your question. Is there a gap of time between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2? The Bible doesn't say that there is, but the gap theory theory teaches that uh, there was a long time in between that allowed, now think about this, that allowed God's perfect creation to have been ruined, destroyed, and then recreated again. And without getting too technical, because I am not a scientist, but there is a clear biblical answer, I believe, here. In verse 2, when when we read that there the earth was, it was a, a void and formless, some translate that word was to the word became. And with that, implying some type of evolution or gap, uh, the evolution that took place over a gap of time. This is where they would insert millions or billions of years to, again, allow for these uh, geological ages. And make no mistake, this is why the gap theory became so popular in the early 1800s. It originated out of out of the UK, Christian and scientist uh, named Chalmers wanted to reconcile the two, and so he 
came up with this idea that was, again, later propagated uh, a few years and became part of um, a lot of Bible colleges is what they teach. Um, I believe that the pretty popular Bible translations, um, Bible notes like the Schofield Bible started to adopt or notes that um, believed in the gap theory. And it's unfortunate because it, here's why, because it takes our trust in God's word and puts it out of the picture. And it forces us to compromise our understanding of God's word in light of what we think is scientific truth. But it's not. There is no scientific proof that would contradict the creation account. And there were some that would disagree. And there would be that's why they lean upon something like the gap theory or the day age theory. There's a bunch of other theories that basically uh, do not believe in a young earth. They believe in an old earth. But I don't think that we don't think that the Bible teaches that. And inserting a gap of time in between verses one and two of Genesis chapter one is simply just a compromise. I want to add one more thing too about this. Um, Sean, the, the, the bigger reason why the gap theory is problematic in our understanding of the Bible is because it goes against the very nature and character of God and, and what he has taught us already through his word. Let me explain. We learn in the creation account that death entered the world through sin, because of sin. The gap theory teaches that God's perfect creation had to go through some type of cataclysmic event between verses 1 and 2, and God would recreate or restart this to rebuild or reshape or reform the new earth. Therefore, implying that death would have entered into the world before sin. And that's a problem. We learn that, that death entered into the world after the fall of man because of sin. The thorns and thistles grew from the ground. This is the consequence of sin. Now, if we posit that death was already taking place before sin occurred, that means that it contradicts what God's Word says. And so, again, I'm not a scientist, and I'm not going to pretend to be one. I can't give you a scientific answer, but this is what the Bible says. So, Sean, I hope that helps. Thank you so much for your question. Okay, let's go back to our questions that have been submitted. This one is an anonymous question. Uh, one of my old churches taught that you could lose your salvation. Is that true? I think this one is also from the men's retreat. One of my old churches taught that you could lose your salvation. Is that true? Anonymous. No, it's not true. And let me elaborate. You can't lose something that you didn't earn. Salvation is a gift from God. And it's not of works. So we didn't do anything to earn it. And similar to Jonathan's question, the question is, the real question is, are you really born again? If you have been saved, you've received the gift of salvation offered to you by God, then you need to lean upon the truth of God's Word. Understand what God's Word says about this gift of salvation. Uh, focus on the first three chapters of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And, and in those first three chapters, he, he outlines and goes into great detail about what our personal salvation truly means. A lot of times at these churches that teach you could lose your salvation, it's because they, 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 they emphasize uh, 
the Holy Spirit or the overemphasis of the Holy Spirit and or they, they emphasize uh, behavior, like I was talking about with Jonathan's question earlier. But instead of looking at things from the outside, we look at the inside. And if God told us in his word that he has given us his heart and he has made us brand new creations, and that the old is gone and that the new has come from Second Corinthians chapter 5, then we need to decide if we're going to believe him or believe somebody else that's saying something contradictory. Remember in Romans chapter 8, that nothing can separate the child of God from the Father's love. Nothing can separate us from his love. John chapter 10, starting in verse 28, Jesus is talking about those that God the Father has placed in his hand and that he won't lose any of them. That means we are safe and secure in Jesus' hand. He's not going to drop us or lose us or abandon us or forsake us. In the same way we didn't put ourselves in his hand, we can't take ourselves out of his hand. He is the one that keeps us secure. You just have to make sure you're in his hand, that your heart belongs to him. So, Anonymous, I I hope that helps. It's a real simple answer to your question. You can't lose it. The question is, if you're really saved, and if you are, your life will be completely submitted to him. Thank you for that. I hope that helps. Our next question is from Jesse. We, We are just inside five minutes, and so I'll let me take these questions quickly. Jesse says, I feel like God isn't speaking to me. I also feel like he isn't with me. I'm praying, but nothing is changing. How can I hear from God? Jesse, you need to open your Bible. The Word of God is used by the Spirit of God to speak to the the man of God. And, And this is important because God is not going to use an audible voice. He's not going to speak to you like somebody speaking through the ceiling. He's not going to use bumper stickers or billboards or signs to speak to you. He's going to use his word. And this is so important, Jesse, because you you said twice here, I feel like... God isn't speaking with me. I also feel like he isn't with me. And I want you to listen to me, Jesse. This is important. And May and I talked a little bit about this yesterday. When your mind is not fully immersed in the word of God, your feelings are going to be all over the place. Now, we are emotional beings. God has made us with feelings and emotions, but these emotions and feelings are to be subject to the Spirit of God under the authority of God's Word. So when you have feelings that are contradictory to what God's Word says, like I was just answering the question before from Anonymous, when you question your salvation, well, God's Word says in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are secure in the salvation. He has given us his Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. That's rock solid. And so if I read that in the Bible and then my feelings say, yeah, but you know what? Uh, You're not feeling it. Well, then I know to put my feelings aside at that moment and subject my feelings to what God's word says. You say you're praying and that nothing is changing. And you're right, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you, Jesse, here. When we pray, we don't pray to change God. We pray so that our hearts could change. Let me be clear. When we pray, and when say we're praying for someone that is sick, and we yes, we pray for healing. Yes, we pray that, that they would feel better. 
But ultimately what we're doing when we're conversing with God is we're, we're asking him to reveal his will, to reveal his heart to us so that our hearts could align with his because we don't want to be outside of God's will. That's why you're not hearing from God, Jesse. You're not in his word and your prayers are not being answered because you're not in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Now, you don't say anything about sin. I'm going to assume that there is no sin in your life and your heart is right with, the, with God. But if there is sin, you've got to deal with that. Lord, I'm not going to hear from him. But if your heart is right with God, another thing to consider is this, and we've got less than two minutes, so I'll wrap this up. But, but Jesse, if you've been a believer for some time, Remember this, when we were first saved, God spoke to us through his word and and things just popped all around us, even through signs or other things, because as a new believer, God is effectively holding the bike that we're trying to learn how to ride it on. He has got training wheels on us and we are safe and secure, constantly hearing from him. As we grow older in the Lord, the training wheels come off. That means we hear him less than we did before. Why? Because we have his word. He wants you to trust in his word. Thank you for your question, Jesse. Tonight, remember, we have our New Testament study with our guest teacher tonight, but not a guest of the church, Louis Hiner. Pastor Ron and Paula are going to return back to town tomorrow. He'll be teaching Sunday. He'll be back on the air Monday. God bless you guys. We'll be, he'll be back 4 o'clock Monday afternoon. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.